When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My cue. Is that my cue? Is that my cue? It must be my cue. Why can't I hear myself there? Turn your headphones up, Mark. Anyway, 24 and a half minutes out, 25 minutes after two. David Turner, Mr. Motorsport in studio. We're talking all things motorsport. We've just announced that he's heading off to the States to make a documentary called Born to Fly, which is going to tell the story of all the New Zealanders heavily involved in IndyCar and will be there for the Indianapolis 500. But we're going to move things along. But if you do want to have your say, 0800 150 811. You can text us here on the Temper Bedpost text machine on double eight double three. Let's look forward to, David, the Grand Prix this weekend in Saudi Arabia. Is this just going to be a Max Verstappen procession this year? And is that a good thing for Formula One? Or do you think he can be challenged and will be challenged? I think he can be challenged. I'm hoping he's going to be challenged because otherwise it could become awfully boring, awfully fast. And Formula One as a brand doesn't need that just as much as maybe IndyCar, you can't ever guarantee a winner. Um, so you don't want that to happen in Formula One either. Um, you know, Red Bull have got some things that they've got to still come to terms with and the fact that they're sitting on a penalty thing from last year which limits their wind tunnel testing time. So as the season progresses, that may slide the advantage slightly towards some of the other teams. So, yeah, anything's possible. I think the dark horse in the pack right now is Fernando Alonso. Aston Martin. Yep. Um, That performance that we saw at the opening round in Bahrain for him to finish on the podium, I think, was exceptional. There's a couple of things to read into it. The car was obviously uh, very kind on its tyre wear over the race duration because the asphalt surface in Bahrain is is very harsh, um, but the Aston seemed to cope with that very well. And on the long runs, Alonso came into his, his game quite well with tyre management, whereas some of the other teams struggled. Saudi's quite different because the surface is different there, so that advantage, if you like, that Aston had may diminish. Um, time will tell. And also Saudi's the fastest street circuit in Formula One. So we're going to see who's got some real mojo mm. behind them. But, you know, it, it's great that there's another team challenging there. Um, Mercedes have still got quite a lot to combat uh, with their more radical design, which, you know, many people thought that they might have abandoned to go more in line with everyone else. And they haven't. They've refined that, but they've got to refine it a bit more. Uh, Ferrari have got to go overcome some reliability issues but they still have straight line mm. speed, so that will be promising. So, no, I think we're in for a good mm. race, and it's very demanding around Saudi. I, I want to ask you this. So you've got these Formula 1 cars. You're given a bit of a box. There's only so much you can do with a car. You've got all these incredibly bright people, designers and engineers that all work for these teams, mm. highest intellect, understand motorsport at the highest level. How in this day and age can one car like Red Bull still seem to be able to find a performance advantage significantly better than every other car? It's combinations of lots of things. It's the the technology in terms of how they're harnessing that to develop the car, uh, how the team itself works, how the driver works, uh, and clearly, you know, Max is a, a level above some of the others, just as Lewis is a, a level above some of the others, just as Senna was a level above most people. You know, so there is a there is a driver input regardless. Um, 
Yeah, look, they, they have an advantage, but it's cycler as well. We saw that with Red Bull you know, a few years back where they won four championships in a row with Vettel and then they had this absolute drought period and Mercedes were the ultimate dominant machine. So it, it goes in cycles. The ones that haven't quite combated but, 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 that has been Ferrari. Yeah, but where does the room for evolution continue in? I mean... We, well, you're talking fractions of seconds. Technology and evolution slows down, doesn't it? So you, you talked about the dominance of Mercedes and then suddenly... Between seasons, they go from the penthouse to the basement. The, to the basement, yeah. And then you suddenly, as you say, you see Red Bull come through. How is there possibly? How is there in, such in, a shift? Well, in the Mercedes case, it was a, a, a conception that they had on the aerodynamics on how they were going to manage the aerodynamics of the car and the way they manage the side pods versus how Red Bull have done it. And clearly, the Red Bull way works better than the Mercedes way. It's it's kind of that simple, but. Um, you know, you've got to back your philosophy because these guys are spending, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in development. So you can't just go, okay, well, plan A didn't work. You've got to try and develop plan A and, and it will continue to do that. And if you look at the competitiveness of it, you know, you're still talking such small margins between all the teams on the grid. So all 20-odd drivers that are there are well and truly worthy of being there and they're all capable of winning races just as much as he had 27 cars at St Pete for the opening IndyCar event and of that 20 of them in qualifying were under a second of each other and then the ones that were outside of that the seven that were outside of it were only marginally outside of it so the um you're not talking tenths of seconds, you're talking thousands of seconds. And I think you and me have talked about it before where we've gone, oh, Dixon didn't qualify very well, he qualified 12th. And yet if you look at the timing, you find that he's you know 0.0 something of a second behind the guy on pole. So you know, all of these things come into play. With Formula One, yeah, the, the refueling strategy, it's a strategy game just as much as IndyCar is over the bigger races as well. So um, there's lots of parts of the puzzle, no different than America's Cup in many ways. Resurgence um, with Aston Martin and Formula One. Yeah, you just talked about Carlos Sainz Jr. Yeah, how have they managed to come up to speed so quickly? Um, Lawrence Stroll, who bought the team, whose son, um, you know, drives in the team and was seen down here in a Toyota Racing Series car many years ago, I think has invested in some very smart people invested very heavily in technology and it's taken a while but maybe we're starting to see that investment pay off again these things don't happen overnight and if you look at say the formula one grid with the 20 cars and you break it down you can break it down into thirds there's a top third a middle third and a back third if you like where you know at the moment um Alpha Tories probably and McLaren are sitting, you know and Haas is slightly ahead of them mm. and yet for the last few years Haas has been at the bottom so it it, it, it's very cyclical, but it's very, very, very small margins. Uh, look, we've got to take some new sport and weather shortly, but Lewis Hamilton, pretty unhappy with the season last year, didn't like the fact, as yep. we said, he went from the penthouse basically to the <laughs> basement. Uh, you've mentioned that Mercedes is sort of stuck with their design of car. They haven't necessarily retrenched on that. But you look at the results from Bahrain. I mean, there was still almost 51 seconds between him and Verstappen. Where do you find that level of improvement? And how frustrating a season is it going to be for Lewis Hamilton? Well, it's interesting that all the rumours have started already. I'm wearing one race in about will Lewis stay or will Lewis leave. Um, Lewis is committed to the team if you read what Lewis says, and I, I firmly believe he is. And a lot of that comes down to how Toto Wolff manages the team and the development of that car, and they've got to, they've got to find something. And they are a team that has resource to find it, so I, I firmly believe they will.
We are talking motorsport. Any questions you've got, David Turner in studio, absolute expert, absolute guru, producer, director, heading over to the United States shortly to start work on a new documentary uh, looking at New Zealand's influence in IndyCar. Telephone number here is 0800 150 0800 150 You can text us here in 113. There you go, 113. And 8833 is the text number. We'll bring you some news, sport and weather, and then we'll continue our discussion. The lines are open. Five minutes away from three, you're listening to SENZ. Telephone numbers 0800 150 811. You can text us here on 8833. David Turner in studio. We're talking all things motorsport. We've looked at Indy cars. We've just had a look at this weekend's round of the Formula One in Saudi Arabia. Now let's focus on the supercars. Bit of controversy last week. First round in Newcastle. Shane Van Gisbergen disqualified for putting <laughs> ice... Dry ice. Dry ice in his car doors to keep the cockpit cool, but apparently outside of the rules. Can you tell me how this is a performance enhancer other outside of other than driver safety? Well, it's keeping the driver cool, isn't it? So one of the things, and again, we've talked about this before, about what we do with the New Zealand Motorsport Elite Academy, and I was actually in Dunedin a couple of days ago getting ready for this year's camp that goes through there and one of the things we do with the kids down there is about hydration and uh, putting them in a heat chamber to recreate that humidity aspect if you like so and it's about how the body copes with that and what the core body temperature does um, and then mentally how you do it so yes there is an element of driver safety in there for sure because your mind does crazy things when it gets too hot that's there's no doubt about that um uh, my only comment on it is the fact that rules are rules and everyone knows those rules. So you've got to play by the rule book, but you play by it till you get caught and obviously they got caught. So um, there's an appeal hearing uh, for um, Shane's team to be held uh, before the next round of supercars, which is the support event at the Australian Grand Prix, so a couple of weeks away. Uh, and, you know, each side will put its case forward and we'll see how it goes. But surely there's got to be some room here because they're saying these new supercars, and we've got rid of the Ford, we've got yep. rid of the Holdens, yep. that these cars are particularly hot for the driver, much hotter than what has been previously experienced. And therefore it's a fine line between driver safety, genuine driver safety, mm -hmm. and a level of tolerance. Yeah, I, I think there was a couple of things that came into play there too. Newcastle was particularly hot. So you've got to take the outside ambient temperature as one thing. Then the internal cockpit temperature is obviously significantly higher. Um, there's only been limited amount of testing with the Gen 3 cars because they were all a bit late off the block. So a lot of these things probably hadn't been as heavily delved into as they would have been with the older generation car because of time that's been used with it. Um, again, a, a parallel to IndyCar, there was a lot of people said that um, you know, the first round at St. Pete, Marcus Armstrong commented about how hot it was uh, because he hadn't raced in a, in a single-seater car with the, the aero screen around him before. Uh, but then he also said later on in a comment that I heard was, oh, it was okay. So, um, yeah, look, at the end of the day, driver safety is paramount, no matter what the sport was, whether it's Formula 1, IndyCar or V8 Supercar, and that has to be considered. Did the team do it 
to deliberately gain a performance edge? Probably not, because I don't really see how you can quantify that other than looking after Shane's you know, body temperature. But, you know, that, that will come down to the Court of Appeal and how it's heard. I guess the pleasing news for Shane Van Gisbergen fans and maybe for Shane himself, and perhaps we're going to see a repeat of last year, is that he did bounce back in that second race, yep. ended up winning that, went past Chaz Moss that 76 career win. Yeah, and he he got the the pass he made on Mostert was clean, tidy, and very well calculated, and he did it you know as a bit of a soul destroyer if you were Chaz Mostert as well because Chaz had led most of that race uh, from the second start they had because the initial start had a problem on it, and um, you know that's that's the the character of Shane is he has the ability to drive hard uh, when he needs to, and and that was a probably a good message from him. You know, don't rule me out of this equation because I'm I'm good at what I do. And here you go, boys. And here's a top step of the podium, legitimately, if you like. Mm. Is it acceptable for drivers in situations like that at press conferences to behave the way Shane, Shane Van Gisbergen behaved in terms of basically snubbing the media uh, and being acting a little bit petulant? Look, I I, I don't have a Look, I, I, look, I even play seven-a-side soccer on a Friday night at the most social league level. And I must admit, after some games, I can, you know, I've become a little um, irrational. And David, <laughs> half an hour later, I've been a little bit, like, embarrassed with perhaps my behaviour. So I can't imagine what it's like when you've raced your guts out, you've been disqualified in circumstances which are unusual at best and arguably perhaps not fair, and then we expect these guys to sit down and be the yeah, consummate uh, professional. I mean, don't we want a bit of colour in sport? I, I th- well, we do. You know, it's like any sport. You could look at, say, the breakers from a couple of nights ago. You've got to face up when you lose a championship, don't you? Just as much as you do in, in motorsports. So there's an element of that. There's an element of um, fatigue and stress that comes in it. Uh, look, I think I don't have an opinion one way or the other on it. I think there is a, a point, though, where a driver in this instance regardless of the category of car that he's driving, and again, it's something we teach kids at the academy, is that you have to front. You actually have to front because those stickers on the car are worth thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars, and that guy expects you to front. Mm. So, yes, you have to do that. Was Shane right or wrong? Look, I, I, it doesn't worry me one yeah. way or the yeah. other. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and he's taken a bit out on Mark Scaife, who, yeah. who, who's in a television role, who's in a media role, who he's come out and was... He's a former driver. ...was he critical of Shane Van Gisbergen's post-race media, but he's just simply doing his job. Um, you sort of sense it. They can move on. Yeah, oh, without a doubt. And what it what it does do, because we're talking about it right now, is it draws headlines to the series, and the series kind of needs that to kickstart its championship off. So, if only it, rugby knew that. Stop know, being vanilla. Have some personality. <laughs> There's only one yeah. thing worse than being talked about, and that's not being talked about. You know, so it's it's good in that sense. Just as much as whatever happens in Saudi this weekend, if Verstappen does something. Be great, you know. Well, uh, we, we, you've got to have those multiple narratives, don't you? Yeah. You've got to have the narratives that set the scene, that set the stage, that get people there. We see how big the managers are in, you know, in English Premier League football. They're bigger yeah. than the players, the rivalries right. between the two. Yeah. Well, you look at even Drive to Survive and how it's turned a, a character like Gunther Steiner from Haas around to being this TV-type hero, and yet he's effectively the team principal of one of the weakest teams in the championship, you know. So it's... Uh, but, but people follow that now, and it has drawn people to it. So if you can have that same aspect, whether, again, be it IndyCar or Supercar or even domestic motorsport in New Zealand, then it's worthy of um, eyeballs, and eyeballs bring more. 
And we've got Stephen on the phone. Hi, Stephen. Hello, lads. Stephen McCoyle, how are you? First time caller, longest time listener. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was intrigued to understand what, what you think of the, the Shane Van Gisberg thing. I think you had to put in context about the whole why he didn't answer the, uh, the press conference. Was he got burnt the day before by a journalist, and you know what Shane's like, and we've worked with Shane a lot. If you get on his wrong side, you're toast. But I was, I was flabbergasted at the way the questions were asked of Shane. You know, they, they basically, if you're professional, you don't go for the jugular straight away. But they went for the jugular straight away to, to create a story. And then when, when a, a journalist from Speed Cafe, a website, calls him obstinate, like publicly calls out someone like that, that's that's actually not good journalism. It may, but it's not us talking, right? But I actually think it's a, a storm in a teacup. The, the real issue is, why didn't Red Bull and Bull Racing gin them up properly? Give them the proper thing so we know you're upset. Just do it this way and suck it up. But he's a man of he's you know, he's, he, he's Shane, so he'll do what he wants. And he does need to learn to play the game better. But more importantly... Uh, Dave, congratulations. That's fantastic news about the doco. But did you see that Ferrari on their return to hypercars because this weekend is the opening run of the World Endurance Series and they've got their new Ferrari 499P hypercar. They've taken pole position ahead of Brendan Hartley and the Twitter. Yeah, and it's a long race, so let's just see what happens whether Ferrari are reliable or not. And you've got to remember... Oh, come on! <laughs> you've got to remember, Stephen, I worked for the Italians during the last America's Cup and temperamental uh, stuff comes into play as well. But, yeah, look, it's, it's all fantastic. Back to the, the Giz thing. What amazes <laughs> me, being a member of the media myself, just as you guys all are, is there is an element of, I think, what should be respect from the media to any athlete, regardless of the sporting code and how you conduct yourself. Yep. Um, and, and maybe that's, that wasn't exercised fully, and therefore the person who's at the back end of that can answer events how they see fit, because that's nature of the beast, isn't it? Stephen, do you yeah, I, Stephen, do you think there was an agenda here, a deliberate agenda that the people have been looking to try and upset Shane Van Gisbergen? Uh, I think there's a I think there's a deliberate agenda by Supercars Media to find a story, so then Fox Sports can make a, uh, another headline of it and get clickbait out of it. I think yeah, definitely, and I, and I think it's and Shane's had a gutsful. I think he's had a gutsful of the same old questions being asked at the same old time, and them showing him no respect. And look, and, and by, by the way. Uh, I know you were defending Mark Scape, but let's just put this in context. He's also on the ownership group of supercars, and, oh, and yeah. I think he was—I think—I think he was primarily out of line because they want all good things said about the new car. And I'll tell you one thing: the way Shane drove in race two, it could be a very long season for everybody. Yeah, I, there's a lot riding on this Gen 3 car from, you know, what Supercar is concerned about. And obviously Scafie's played a big part in that. So you're going to see lots of, oh, we'll call them backyard agendas take place as well. But I think maybe, uh, you know, maybe the Aussies have had enough of the Kiwis beating them all the time. Yeah, well, it wouldn't surprise me. Look, Stephen, uh, you know how this game works. I've actually got a few ads I need to take, my good man. I'd love to keep you on. You should have probably ended up coming and hosting this show, to be honest, mate. No, 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 thoroughly enjoyed I'm just... Super pumped, genuinely super pumped that uh, David's docker was underway. I was talking yeah. to him a long time ago, and I know the trouble. I'm, I'm absolutely 
genuinely excited from. So well done, buddy. Yeah, and well, I thank you, Stephen. You know how much it means to me. And, uh, you know, I've had a couple of sleepless nights since then because I've got to work out how to deliver the damn <laughs> yeah. thing now. Yeah, if you have just joined us, uh, David Turner, who heads up Perspective Group, have announced today that they're going to partnership up with Sky Television here in New Zealand. They've got the go-ahead from IndyCars. They're going to do a documentary on Scott Dixon, Scotty McLaughlin, Marcus Armstrong, the likes of Hunter McElray, Jacob Douglas, our drivers. But this group of New Zealanders who work tirelessly behind the scenes of some of the biggest trade teams in IndyCar. And we're going to tell that story. It's going to come out in Sky later in the year. It's going to include the Indianapolis 500. It is really going to give us a real sense of nationalism and hopefully take New Zealand motorsport to the rest of the world and just show how innovative we are and just how good we are when it comes to all things on four wheels. It is 13 and a half minutes away from three o'clock. Gull, fueling your mission. Pop into your local for some good value fuel. Gull.nz. Helping you tune out your annoying workmate. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Eight and a half minutes away from three o'clock, you're listening to SENZ. David Turner in studio. We're talking all things motorsport. Uh, 2nd of April is the next round of IndyCars. David, it has been raced in Texas. It's on the Oval. I want to ask you this. Is it a form guide to the Indianapolis 500? One word answer. No, <laughs> it's not. It's an Oval, sure. And it's, it's good to see the cars in their Oval spec as opposed to the road course spec. But... He who wins Texas doesn't necessarily guarantee the Mindy. How, how much we think of an oval? We think, well, an oval's an oval. They're all the same. But how different are oval tracks? Well, the, the oval, the oval at Texas is more a triangle, and it's very high banks, so there's a high degree of banking on it. The oval at Indianapolis Motor Speedway is a rectangle with four corners on it, and not that much banking, but it's still regarded as being an oval. And it's a super speedway, so it's 2.5 miles once around. Is, is there much in terms of setting a car up yep. based on – so which, which would be a harder track to set a car up on, or do they both have their challenges? They both have their challenges because of the degree of banking at Texas versus the longer straights at Indy and where the wind and things like that come into play at Indy as well. So there's a lot of lot more variables probably at Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what? Will, but the drivers in the back of the mind will have Indy on their minds. So, yep. what will they be looking to try and take out of it? There must be some peripheral things. There must be some, let's use that word, learnings that they can take. Well, they're, they're getting into the gutsy part of the season already. We're only around in, and then suddenly they have this flurry of events. So they've got Texas and Long Beach and Alabama, and then suddenly Indy Grand Prix, and then the 500. And there's a test at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, in amongst all of that as well. That's the form guide for Indy. That's okay. we. We will really see. Okay, David, we've got 45 seconds left. We've got people constantly switching on and off in radio. We all do it. We get into our cars. We get out (laughs) of our cars. So we've had a big announcement today, something you've been working really hard on. It's a documentary that you're about to go and make. You're about to head to the States. It's called Born to Fly. In 30 seconds, just summarise that again for people who have just tuned in. It's going to be the story of the unsung heroes, the guys behind the scenes that are Kiwis living in the States, making that series what it really is. But it will include clearly the rock stars. But it includes the drivers. It includes the rock stars. And just just on that, what have you made of Marcus Armstrong's start? He's a rock star in the making. Um, The team are very impressed with him. I talked to a couple of people that I know in the team, a couple of them are Kiwis, so I get the real story, and they're pleased, really pleased.